Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles now to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and we'll be uh, continuing our sermon series through that book of the Scriptures. That's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right there at the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, Mark's gospel, as we have looked over the last couple of weeks, has really one primary aim for us. And one goal that I hope that we are seeking to get out of our time uh, each Sunday as we hear in the sermon series and walk through God's Word in this way. And that is that we would see Jesus. That we'd experience more of His grace and love. That we'd understand more of His kingship and reign over us. His sovereignty over our lives. His comfort. His love. That we would know more of the joy of walking with Him that we'd know more as well of embracing Him in obedience, that we would see Jesus. That's Mark's goal in writing this gospel. That certainly should be our goal as we spend this time over the next uh, few weeks and months walking through the book of Mark. As we are going, we've already seen early on in Mark chapter 1, 14 and fi- verse 14 and 15, that Jesus comes to establish His kingdom and to do that through the gospel, through the message of salvation in him. And then we saw last week that he's got a a wild-eyed plan for how he's going to advance that kingdom. Through calling people like you and me who are broken, who are weak, who are sinful, who are fallen, and to call us to be disciples who would walk with him and would seek to extend his kingdom in the world. He does that through his power, his loving and beautiful authority in our lives. And as we look at this week, we're going to see another aspect of the beautiful, loving authority of Jesus, and that is his ability to bestow forgiveness on sinners who need God's grace. So I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently. We stand in honor and recognition of God's word and its truth Mark chapter 2, I'll read aloud and you read along silently, verses 1 through 11. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together. So there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose 
and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. You may be seated and invite you to pray with me once again. Oh, Father, be with us and help us, even with technical things like sound systems. More importantly, Lord, take your word and take it into our hearts that we might see and experience and understand the grace of forgiveness so much more fully today as we gather here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know if it's the uh, spring-ish weather that's out there or what, but my wife Patience went on a sort of spring cleaning crusade in the middle of winter a couple of days ago. And so I came home and found something curious in the trash can. In fact, quite a lot of them. For those that are on the younger side, this is called a VHS cassette. Uh, these, uh, long before streaming uh, video and DVDs could be used when inserted into something called a VCR to play a video on a TV. And if you're here and you're sort of my age and stage, you can probably remember late in elementary school when these things came out and everybody had to have one. This is the first time that you could watch a movie repeatedly and watch a movie that wasn't currently at the theater or didn't happen to be the movie of the week on TV. Technological marvel. Amazing. Everybody's got to have one, bought these things, bought the players for them. Whole stores called Blockbuster Video emerged, and many would make a weekly pilgrimage there Friday night to rent these things out in large quantities. My, how times have changed. In fact, uh, although we have been throwing some of them out, we still do have a collection of these ones, the little Bible story ones. And so the Peters family has kept a few of them. And last year we realized we needed to get a functional VCR to play them because we didn't have one around. I went, the only place one could be found on Craigslist, and had one of these strange things. I don't know if you all have done the Craigslist thing before, but... Got in contact with this guy in Birmingham. We meet up in a parking lot. It's kind of like some shady deal, drug deal or something. He gets this thing out of his trunk. We've never met before. Sort of awkward. Are you the guy? Are you the guy at the VCR? You got it? Now, I had my $10 in my hand that I had promised to pay this guy for this. And his response was interesting. He saw me, and no, I was not wearing my clerical collar. He saw me and uh, handed the VCR to me, the remote, kind of stacked it on top of me. I tried to hand him the $10. He said, he said, no, no, if you're going to use that thing, just go ahead and take it. I mean, he, he'd taken the time to listen on Craigslist to communicate with me to drive up to the summit and meet me in a mysterious parking lot location. But this thing was so worthless that he was happy for me to just take it, just take it off my hands. The reality is, when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness from sin, when we even... Think about it, even if you're here today and you know the Lord and are walking with the Lord. When we think about that, it can seem a lot like VHS tapes and VCRs. Something that was helpful and useful for people a while ago. Way back when, that was a neat thing or an important thing. 
but now we just chunk it in the trash. It's not really that significant to us. As we think about Jesus' forgiveness today, look at these verses. We're going to see quite the contrary. That there is today and throughout all time nothing more valuable, nothing worth more, nothing that we need more desperately, nothing that's a greater joy to have and to experience than the forgiveness of our sins before the living God. If you want to follow along with me in your worship guide and take notes, you can, and you'll see there uh, that's toward the back of the worship guide, uh, a section where I just put the, the main idea, and I really do think this is the primary thing the Lord would have for us to get today from these verses. That is just that the Son of God bestows forgiveness. He gives it. And so we should come to Him in faith. To receive it. As we walk through these verses this morning, spend a few minutes doing so, the first thing we want to look at and consider is this physical healing that's going on, and it'll raise some questions for us right off the bat. Do we believe that Jesus can and does bring physical healing? If so, are we looking to Him for that where we need it? in our lives or those around us. And then we'll talk just a moment about what do we do when he doesn't work healing. Great story for this guy here. What about my life when it doesn't seem to be working out that way in a physical healing? And then we want to talk about really what is the main point of this passage, the spiritual healing that we need, as I was just discussing, the forgiveness that is so vital for us that without which we cannot have a relationship with the Lord. And we want to ask this question for each and every one of us. Have we come to a place in our life recognizing that we have no hope in this life and in the next without the forgiveness of God and seeking that through Jesus? And if we have received that, do we realize on a day-to-day basis, are we, are we growing in the joy of that forgiveness and what it means for us to experience it? And the last thing we'll look at is the challenge here that's sort of hidden within the story, but I think you'll see it pretty clearly, of these four friends bringing their friend, this paralytic, to Jesus And the call again for us to consider, as we considered last week when we saw Jesus' call to be fishers of men, that we're called to be used by God to bring others around us to experience this forgiveness. It's not only wonderful for us to have it, but it's great for others around us to receive it. So let's take a look at that. And the first way we want to do so is to talk about the physical healing that's here. And in all of this, I hope that we will see Jesus lifted up before us. Jesus as the one who can heal physically. Jesus as the one who gives forgiveness. Jesus as the one who's worthy for us to bring others to for forgiveness. Look at, with me at the physical healing, though, that takes place here. Verses 3 and 4 make it clear the situation is dire. You've got a person who's a paralytic who cannot move. Friends bring him in, and then verses 11 and 12 show us what we see throughout the Gospels 
that Jesus often chooses and to show grace through giving physical healing. He has power to do so. Verse 11, Jesus says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. This guy's been paralyzed, as far as we know, all his life. His friends are carrying him around, and he walks out of this place. He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went before them all. And you know it was a big thing because it says all the people were amazed and gave glory to God. So in our effort to talk here about forgiveness, let's not jump past one of the things we should get out of this passage. And that is that we can and we should look to Jesus for healing. Maybe we've got uh, rightly an aversion to the sort of health and wealth gospel that's out there that makes God, seems to turn God into nothing more than a cosmic first aid kit. That is just a bartering deal. I'll give some faith to you, Lord, and you give me back some physical health in this area. And because of that message that's out there among the church and that's on a lot of the TV preaching, frankly, and other places, we might have a little bit of an aversion to, to seeking healing from the Lord. Or we hear the prayer request in Sunday school and maybe we haven't had a physical need lately and frankly we get a little tired of healing about, hearing about more of these kind of needs. People, Jesus has a passion, has a love to bring about and to show his power through physical healing. One of the things we'll ask as well is what about the situations where I don't receive that healing? And it's impossible in our short time today to answer that in any detail. But I will say this. The Apostle Paul, who last time I checked was no spiritual slacker. You know, he had a little faith. The Apostle Paul at one time went to the Lord, and we don't know what exactly his thorn in the flesh was to what degree it was a physical ailment or some other thing he was wrestling with. But in any event... He asked God three times to take that thing away. And in God's sovereign purposes and plans, God didn't. And it it tells us there even why he didn't. That Paul was able to realize that in his weakness, God was strong. God was strong. So we're reminded in these verses, it is good to seek God, the living God, for healing. That's part of his merciful work. And also to trust him with his plans for that in our lives. Interesting thing here is that this guy, uh, or his friends anyway, uh, you assume the paralytic was along with the plan. They didn't just you know, grab him and say, we're going, buddy. I assume he was part and parcel with it. But he's not coming to Jesus for the main thing that Jesus wants to give him as we move to the second thing we want to talk about this morning. I mean, imagine the, the hype. He gets worked up. He gets hauled all over town. They take him up on a roof. They tear out the panels and so forth and drop him right down in the middle. He knows his main problem is a physical thing. Everybody can see his main problem is physical. And Jesus says in verse 5, My son, your sins are forgiven. I felt that, that guy felt like that was a raw deal to start off with. How about my legs, Jesus? How about getting those going? Well, Jesus knows that the physical is not really the most important, even though it's often 
what brings us to a place of seeing our need for the spiritual. We feel fear in our lives, if you will, and we know we need comfort. So that drives us to Jesus. We uh, feel a lack of wisdom. We have some confusion in our life. So we go to Jesus because I want to get some understanding. We have a physical problem for ourselves or another, so we go to Jesus because we want him to deal with that thing right there. And Jesus says, your most important need, the most important thing I'm interested in meeting, not that those other things are unimportant, but the most important thing is forgiveness from your sins, that you might be restored spiritually to a right relationship with God. And so that's what he gives to this man, this paralytic who comes. So we look at these uh, verses then. Uh, take a look with me at verse 5. You saw where his sins are forgiven. And then it moves quickly into this dialogue. You've got some other people along the way. Interestingly enough, they're kind of confused by a, a different issue than maybe we would even be thinking about. They're not concerned so much with the need of forgiveness of sins, but they're concerned with Jesus' ability, his status, to be able to bestow forgiveness. Look with me at verse 7. You see them asking, how does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus has a real interesting answer to this question, doesn't he? He asks them a question back. He kind of tosses those things right back a lot of times in questions. He says this, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? What's the answer to that question? You can answer that question in two ways, actually. It's a little bit of a tricky one. Because it's easy to say the words, your sins are forgiven, as opposed to somebody getting up and walking, that's pretty hard to prove. That involves a miracle. You've got to see something happen there. But the flip side is also true. It's not easy to say your sins are forgiven in the way that Jesus is saying it, to say, I am giving you forgiveness. It's not easy at all. It wasn't easy for Jesus to say in this sense, and you have it in your worship guide if you want to read along with me, Oswald Chambers speaks about the cost, the price that would have to be paid for this beautiful blessing of forgiveness. He says this, I know it's long, but read along with me if you would. Very few of us have any understanding of the reason why Jesus Christ died. If sympathy is all that human beings need, then the cross of Christ is a farce. There's no need for it. We trample the blood of God underfoot if we think that we are forgiven simply because we're sorry for our sins. The only explanation of the forgiveness of God and of the unfathomable depth of His forgetting sin is the death of Jesus Christ. There's no room for looking on Jesus Christ as a martyr. His death was not something that happened to him which might have been prevented. His death was the very reason he came. God could forgive men in no other way. The greatest triumph 
that ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that that sounded on the cross. It is finished. That was the last word in the redemption of man. It's an awesome thing to be able to receive forgiveness and for Jesus to be able to offer us, offer it to us. My question for us today is, where are we in this? Have we come to a place recognizing our need in this life, recognizing our need in eternity of receiving the forgiveness that Jesus offers? Simply praying to Him and calling out saying, God, I understand that I need this. I don't get all of it, but I need You to forgive As we walk through the spiritual life and the spiritual journey each and every day and we see ourselves wandering away because we're sinful and fallen people and we've got old habits wandering away from our walk with the Lord, are we turning afresh each and every day to receive that forgiveness? Jesus is a a beautiful thing that He offers to us in forgiveness, His grace. I'll say one other thing about this, and it's uh, on your, uh, it may or may not be on your worship guide sheet there, but Tim Keller mentions this. He says, all of the things which are most important cannot be taken away from you when you are assured of God's forgiveness. Think about that. Think about that. Far from it being like VCRs and VHS tapes that we don't need, if we have this one thing, forgiveness, all of the other things can't be taken away. He reminds us communion with God, deep-seated joy, genuine freedom. And then he says this, if you are not forgiven and therefore not restored to relationship with God, then you remain an empty shell no matter how healthy and beautiful looking you may be. That's the message of forgiveness that Jesus is saying here. That's the message of forgiveness. Which leads us to the last thing I want to talk about for just a minute. And that is to take a look at these friends of this paralytic. He didn't know what he was going to get. He was kind of confused, I'm sure, by all that Jesus was saying and doing about forgiveness. But these friends took time to bring their friend to Jesus to receive forgiveness. And I want to conclude and think a little bit about this through the lens of a book that I've been reading, and I do recommend it probably wouldn't be a bad one for uh, for, uh, us all coming into our missions uh, weekend in a couple of weeks is Through the Gates of Splendor, Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot. And I just want to talk a minute about this and, and relate it a bit to, to what we've been discussing this morning. Elizabeth Elliot, if you know anything about the story, was married to Jim Elliot, who was one of uh, five missionary men, uh, most of them married, several of them with children, who all went to the to reach the Aka Indian tribe in the jungles of Ecuador back in the mid-1950s. She actually wrote this book just two years after that. And if you know the story, these men who went in, 
Uh, we don't even know exactly what circumstances happened. They had tried to connect with the natives there before. They knew that these were violent people, that this tribe was known for its violence. They didn't go in unawares. In fact, each one of them had written uh, or discussed with their wife, written in a journal or discussed with their wife, the fact that they were putting their lives at risk going in. And indeed, in whatever circumstance or situation, the movie End of the Spear shows one possible scenario. These men, their lives were taken. And I think about that story and those men, and because I've been reading it, about what gets you to a place where you so love the forgiveness of God and so want other people to experience it that you're able to put your own physical life at risk. Now, one thing we might say, you say, well, um, Chris, if this is a pitch for the next mission trip, we're probably not, there's going to be low attendance at that meeting for that next mission trip. But when we think about guys like this and hear these stories, it's easy to feel like, well, those people were special folks. Those were sort of Green Berets, special Christians. And certainly there was something special about their faith. But as we think about God's call for us to look around our lives and see people in our family, see people in our workplace, see people in our neighborhood that we can pray for, that we can seek to invite to come to church, that we can seek to share with about what Jesus is doing in our lives, in that sense to bring them to Jesus, I want to read you a little bit of what one of these five missionaries, Jim Elliott's the most famous, But this guy's name was Roger Udarian. He was also among these five men that died. And listen to what he wrote just a couple of months before he joined this team to go and reach the Aka Indians. He was trying to reach another group of Indians called the Javaria and had been there, been at it for three years together with his wife. So you think these guys are special? Think they're able to just, you know, do insurmountable things? He says this, wrote this in his journal, about ready to call it quits. Seems to me there's no future in the Javaria for us, and the wisest thing for us to do will be to pull up stakes. The reason? Failure to measure up as a missionary and to get to these people. As far as my heart and aspirations are concerned, the issue is settled. There's no ministry for me among the Javarias or anywhere here. I'm not going to try to fool myself. I wouldn't support a missionary such as I know myself to be, and I'm not going to ask anyone else to. Three years is long enough to learn a lesson and learn it well. The cause of Christ in the Javaria won't suffer for us having been there, but i got to be honest and confess that it hasn't been helped. I cannot, I believe the Lord chose the Javaria for us, but I just didn't measure up to it. You'll say that when the Lord calls, He supplies. Listen to this. You can have my boots anytime you want them. It isn't there, and I'm not good at pretending. A couple months before God used him 
in a way that really wasn't unexpected to him that he anticipated may happen in the loss of his life. And if you know anything more about the story of these men seeking to bring these people to Jesus to receive forgiveness, you know that Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and another gentleman who was killed, Nate Saint, his sister, Rachel Saint, actually went back following the bold ministry of their loved ones and went back to this killer tribe. And God gave them a tremendous ministry among them. Let me read you one encounter in conclusion as we wrap up our time together this morning about forgiveness. Rachel Saint, again the sister of one of the missionaries who was killed, had been ministering now back among these killer tribe of Indians for some time. And she was sitting in her tent one night, and she writes about this in her diary. She says, I was sleeping in my hammock and I heard a noise. Somebody was walking around in the dark. It was Minkaye, one of those who had killed my brother Nate. Minkaye squatted by the fire, she records, wanting to talk. He said, Wyongongi, the creator, is very strong, isn't he? Rachel said, yes, he is very strong. He made everything here. Minkaye said, you said that he can clean someone's heart. My heart, being very, very dark, can he clean even my heart? Rachel said to him, God's very strong. He can clean your heart. Minkaye got up, walked away into the night, came back the next morning and said to Rachel, What you said is true. Speaking to God last night, he cleansed my heart. Now it is Waantamo, as clear as the sky when there are no clouds in it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come, uh, that you came with the express purpose to bring forgiveness of sins, to bring a righteousness that we can't gain or earn in ourselves, and that that forgiveness, Lord, is so compelling that it moves us to want others to experience it. Father, I pray for us in those places where we feel like Roger Udarian and we don't feel like we're making much of an impact at all on our friends or neighbors. Oh, Lord, would you allow us to trust you, to continue looking for you to work, to continue to invite, to continue to share, to continue to speak. And, Lord, that we would look for your plans and your time that you would bring forgiveness to those around us who desperately need it. Oh, in all of this, Lord, we pray that we would not begin even in the slightest bit to see your forgiveness as something antiquated, something for a bygone era. But, oh, Lord, we would see how precious and beautiful and necessary it is for us today and help us to walk in it with great joy. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen.